Please be seated. Good morning. Well, I went to bed last night feeling very prepared for this morning. I woke up this morning feeling very, very unprepared. And, and I don't say that to like cushion a bad sermon coming. Hopefully that's not going to happen. Uh, but I do say, and I want to make it clear, that if this sermon has any effect whatsoever, it, that it may be plainly obvious that it's from the Lord himself. I love when Jesus is talking to the Sadducees. I love at the end of the Gospels when, the, when he's being questioned by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees. I love the question from the Sadducees. They want to know whose wife will she be in the resurrection. And not to get too deeply into that because it's not really what we're talking about here, but at the end of it, he says, you, at the beginning of his answer, he says, you are in error because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And at the end of it, he says, you are badly mistaken. This is a mistake of eternal consequence, he says. And I don't like it when people get me wrong. My students sometimes do. In fact, sometimes students will leave the school and they'll remember things I said and then kind of tweak it a little bit and say things that I didn't say, and that, that bothers me. It bothers me when people misrepresent me. And who am I? <laughs> really, quite frankly, nobody of consequence except to me, right? <laughs> And yet we are badly mistaken if we don't get these questions Jesus asks correct, correctly. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Jesus asks his disciples. It's immensely important that we get that correct. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. And that we can come before you. Thank you for your word. God, we rejoice in it. Thank you for the beautiful music that we get to sing. And we pray even now as that hymn, the beautiful hymn, Lord, speak, O Lord. Let your word be heard. Lord, let it resonate into eternity. Be Lord. May it be obvious that you, that your son, is the son of the living God, the Messiah. In Jesus' name we ask all this, amen. But we find ourselves in Caesarea Philippi, and I, 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 one commentator said, it's interesting that the first real proclamation of who, this, this significant proclamation of who Jesus is, is stated in Gentile pagan territory. And they're probably, and it's almost certainly the case, in this territory because once again, Jesus and his disciples, or Jesus with his disciples, is trying to get away. Anytime they get out of Israel, it's to kind of get some anonymity, to get some rest, maybe some teaching. And Jesus does begin kind of teaching here. His, his, his questions are sort of a, a, a teaching methodology. And the way we'll break it up today is we'll look at the questions, the blessing, and what we are to understand or what we are to derive from this. And the first question Jesus asks is, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, son of man was Jesus' favorite term he used for himself. And I personally think it's because he could kind of straddle both worlds. In some ways, it's a harmless term, a significant but, but kind of harmless term. And by harmless, it doesn't seem to ruffle any feathers. It doesn't scream. It doesn't scream Messiah, right? It doesn't stir the pot. 
You could easily look at the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is called son of man 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. It's not a great claim. And yet at the same time, it's a term which does have huge messianic implication. If you look at Daniel 7, you see an epic view of someone who looks like the son of man coming into the presence of the ancient of days to be commended, to be blessed, to be honored, to receive power, to receive glory. Either way, he says, who do people say the son of man is? It's obvious he's speaking of himself because the next question he says, who do you say I am? Nevertheless, why ask this? Why ask that question? Why not jump to, who do you say? That's kind of the more significant question. So why say the first one? And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, for them as future teachers and preachers to know their audience. We all have an audience, don't we? Some of us teach and preach kind of more publicly than others, but we all have people we interact with. Do we know what they say about Jesus? If they are to correct, if they are to instruct, it is important that they know what people think. And this is, again, for us, too. A couple of weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. We've all had that happen. Rarely, though, was I in the position that I was in. I was actually in the mood <laughs> for them to come in. <laughs> I was actually like, hey, Jehovah's Witnesses. Usually I'm like, oh, my goodness. Do I take the time? Do I witness? Do I like say, I, I don't have time? This, today, I don't know why, I was just like, hey, let's go, right? So I stepped outside on the porch, shook hands, I was talking, I was into the conversation, and, I, and a lot of us kind of know what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, but, but basically they believe that Jesus was the first and greatest creation. He was a great, epic individual. He was not God. Yeah, you can, you can kind of call him God, but he was not God. So we started discussing it. And I'm kind of an apologist at heart, so we were, going, we were going at it, and I had them reeling. I have to say, I was on top of my game, okay? <laughs> and I did. And, and, I, and I started to say certain things to them. And one of the guys started to quaver, started to like, you could tell he was like, huh. At one point, he said to me, and this is completely of the Lord, the whole time I'm praying. I said, to him, oh, I, I, I said something to them, and I won't get into the weeds, but he said, that's a good argument. And you could see the other guy was looking at him, and he was like, we can't have this. And I, I mean it. And we started talking. And it was all because, in a sense, I knew their view of Jesus. And I thought it was wrong. And, it's, and it's, it's close. It's good. They don't speak poorly of him. But it's inadequate. I even said at the end, I said, let's, well, let's pray together. And they goes, nope, nope. And he grabbed the guy, and he walked away, walked off our porch. Hmm. It was fun. I walked back in. My wife remembers I was all happy. <laughs> Jesus also may have been trying to discern how much the people had an influence on them. They're, in, they're amongst the people. We can't not be influenced by those around us. It's impossible. They're with him, and they're with them, much like us, right? We spend time with Jesus, and we spend time in the world, and, and which is having the greater influence? Either way, their response, and we're not told who says it, but a smattering of replies. They say, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Herod believed Jesus was John the Baptist, back from the dead. Elijah, it was predicted, would come before the Messiah, right? Jesus later points out that that Elijah actually is John the Baptist. 
But nevertheless, the people were murmuring and saying this and that, that the John the Baptist would come. This has got to be John the Baptist. Or, or this is Elijah would come back before the Messiah. Some say Jeremiah. The, the commentators can't quite figure out why Jeremiah. Although there's a belief, kind of a legend, that Jeremiah gave uh, uh, Judas Maccabeus a golden sword during the Maccabean revolt. And so there's some, maybe it's immersed in legend as why Jeremiah is mentioned. But if things changed, don't we all have these kind of varying beliefs, reincarnations and, and, and this and that? We believe all these things about everything, let alone about the person of Jesus. Here's the point. All spoke well of him. They spoke highly of him. In fact, they conclude with this. He's one of the prophets. You say that about anybody, it's a compliment. It's a good thing. Not one disparaging thing were the crowd saying about Jesus. But isn't this the danger? Isn't this a problem? Do you know anyone who speaks poorly of Jesus? Anyone. Everyone speaks with Islam. The Muslims say they speak reverently of Jesus. In fact, sometimes they accuse Christians, and maybe slightly rightly so, of not holding him in as high esteem as they do. Sometimes I think we, we speak flippantly of our Lord, and they take offense at that. That's something to remember. But he was a great prophet. They even call him the Messiah in the Quran. Hinduism, what do they say? He was another incarnation of Vishnu, a, one of the greats. Buddhism, similar. Not too long ago, the Dalai Lama was being interviewed, and he said that Jesus was, uh, on, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he, like Siddhartha Gautama before him, the Buddha, experienced nirvana on the top of the mountain. That's what it was, right? We kind of got a little bit wrong, but, but we're close as Christians, right? TJ, a couple weeks ago when he preached on the Transfiguration, he was close, right? Really, he experienced nirvana. He's just like Buddha. He's like Muhammad. Well, just below Muhammad, but, but important. Elon Musk, most of us know that name, was being interviewed by the Babylon, Babylon Bee recently. Babylon Bee is a kind of satirical, sarcastic, humorous website. He liked their humor, made some comments. They said, hey, we, can we interview you? He said, sure. So he came on, was interviewed by them, and I think it took him aback. They asked him what he thought about Jesus. And his response was, well, he was obviously a great man, a great moral teacher. Now, Musk is an atheist. But he spoke very well of Jesus. He spoke very well of him. Nobody speaks, but a few people do. And I kind of like it when they do. Maybe I shouldn't. But I appreciate the integrity when unbelievers speak poorly of Jesus. One of my favorite atheists is a guy by the name of Christopher Hitchens. He's passed. And he was a bad dude, don't get me wrong, in a lot of ways. But I went and first heard him debate. When I first moved out here, I went down to Georgetown University, and I heard him debate Alistair McGrath. And he beat Alistair McGrath up. McGrath came for tea, and Hitchens came for a fist fight. And that's really what happened, OK? And I'm telling you, I listened to it, and I'm like, I like this guy. I didn't agree. I don't think he was right. I don't think he's, <laughs> I didn't become an atheist, in case you were wondering. And he, um, but he says he thinks Jesus is evil. He says, look at his teachings on hell. That, these are evil teachings. And I'm like, 
Thank you. Thank you. Emil Hirsch, I heard him interview once, or being interviewed in a round table, and he said of Jesus, he said of Christians, <laughs> he mockingly, he said they worship a guy who was publicly, ex who, was, who, who died by capital punishment. This is who they worship. And I'm like, thank you. I, I rejoiced in it. And you can't help but echo the cliche, sometimes cliche, but it's true of C.S. Lewis, right? When he says, look, either Jesus was a liar or he was a lunatic. And we need to fall on our faces before him as Lord. But we often forget the second part of it, which is just perfect. He goes, let us not come up with this patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that option open to us. And might I say this, let us not come up with this patronizing nonsense of him being one of the great prophets. He has not left that option open to us. Amen? And that brings us to the second question. But who do you say that I am? This is what they say. I heard you. What about you, says Jesus? And this is a teacher question. Do they get it? Do my students get it? Do they understand? I think it's borderline impossible to comprehend how hard it would be to actually understand who Jesus was, who Jesus is at this time. Can I make that clear to you? Well, I can't, I can't. But can we try? It would be so hard to fully comprehend who Jesus was at this time, right? His miracles are impressive, but, but subdued, right? He, he kind of says he's the Messiah, but he kind of doesn't. He does epic things which seem to indicate there's a great future. And yet, what does he say? Look, I'm going to get captured. I'm going to get beaten up. And I'm going I'm to die. And yes, he says I'm going to rise three days later. But the disciples, if you read kind of the other passages, they, they kind of say, well, this is obviously symbolic. That's, he's, it's metaphorical. They, they don't know what to make of it. Also, on the same note, can I say this? I think it is borderline impossible for us to understand how blessed we are to have the entirety of Scripture, to be able to look at things in retrospect. We must not be proud, but greatly humbled at what we have. The Scripture, let alone the teachings we receive, this church from Father Phil and from Father TJ and other people who speak, how blessed we are. Either way, Peter's response is profound, isn't it? Again, we, much is made of how Peter says great things and bad things, but it's worth saying again, he says something impressive here. Peter steps up as spokesperson, spokesman for the disciples. He's speaking for the disciples. He's not saying, I don't know what they believe. This is what I believe. He's saying, he, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am, who, you disciples? He says, this is what we believe. You are the Christ the son of the living God. Wow. Mark and Luke stop it at you are the Christ and then jump down to Jesus warning them not to tell anybody. But Matthew gives us more in this passage and there's something important he's obviously trying to tell us. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus blesses Peter. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John. You receive this not 
from man, not from flesh and blood. But this was given to you, and he almost says it endearingly, by my father. My dad told you this. My father told you this. God has made this clear. And, and I think it's important that all of us in this room, in so much as we understand who Jesus really is, need to understand that it's a supernatural revelation that was given to us. We are blessed incomprehensibly to have had this revealed to us. Paul later echoes this. He goes, I didn't receive the gospel from man. I received it supernaturally from Jesus Christ himself. Even if somebody speaks it to you or you read it, the revelation you receive is from Jesus Christ, from the Father, from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes it clear that this confession, this statement by Peter, in so much as Peter give it, gives it, is foundational for the church of Jesus Christ. This confession, what he says, and again, this is not to say that Peter does not have a preeminence. I like what Leon Morris says. He says, there is no doubting that Peter is assigned a preeminence, and we'll see it later in Scripture in some of the things he does, but it is not an absolute preeminence. I like the way he put that. There's something being said about Peter here by Jesus. But there's something greater being said about what Peter is saying and how much that is the foundation for the church. It is such a rock-solid foundation that the church will be built upon it right up abutting against the gates of hell. What a thing to say, and it's, it's funny because I was preparing. I almost skipped that, <laughs> that tiny little fact. What a thing for Jesus to say. He's making it clear there are two kingdoms. I always tell my students that Christmas, we look at Christmas, and Christmas is wonderful. I'm already kind of looking forward to it. Um, I come from a family that loves Christmas, and I come, I'm in a family that loves Christmas. I come from a family that's cynical about Christmas, and so I've blended those two together into a beautiful combination. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but I'm much less cynical about it, and I'm much more I, 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 zealous about it, and I love, um, I love the idea that when Jesus was born, it was an act of war. And when he began his ministry, he planted a flag and he said, mine. I came for the nations, right? So Christmas, as beautiful as it is, and the cute little baby Jesus, it was an act of war, make no mistake about it. In fact, the hostilities began right away, right? When, 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 when Satan sent Herod and the troops and tried to slaughter Jesus, but only were able to slaughter um, all those children, terribly so. Either way, a war was begun. And Jesus is saying the establishment, the conclusion, or at least the, 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 the fort that's going to be built, that's going to spread around the world, is my church on the confession of Peter right here, right up, against the, uh, right up against the gates of Hades. And there are two kingdoms, aren't they? Aren't there? Paul tells us in Colossians, he goes, you were once in the dominion of darkness, but you've been brought into the kingdom. Gates are meant to keep people in, I guess to keep people out too, right? But those gates were broken by Jesus. Amen? The gates of death cannot hold people in anymore. He broke those gates. He built the church right up and he broke the gates. But what does this mean for us? Are we aware of what people are saying about Jesus? Are we aware of what our friends think 
of Jesus? Or does it just not come up? Oftentimes it doesn't come up for me, at least not as much as it should. I remember when I first moved out here, um, my wife and I, well, at first I would go to this place, then when my wife and I started dating, we would go to this restaurant in downtown Annapolis. And I frequented, <coughs> excuse me, I frequented it enough that I got to know the guy. And the guy had a similar history to me. He's, a Chicago, he's from Chicago area, and he, he spent a lot of time there. He actually went to Moody, and he was a serious believer. And um, he decided to start a restaurant in downtown Annapolis that was like a restaurant in Chicago. I believe the, the place in Chicago, I won't say the name of the restaurant, just for his sake right now. Um, but I believe the name of the restaurant in Chicago, if you know it, was called Third Coast, if I remember, if anybody knows it. But anyway, um, I, we, we, he saw me frequenting his place, so he got to know me. He'd sit with me, and we'd talk a little bit. And um, conversations would get a little bit deeper. And all of a sudden, I realized he, he, he had left the faith. And he said, I'm so tired of all this right-wing such and such and such and such. He goes, this and that. And he started kind of ripping, kind of getting into the political realm. And I, I was hearing him. Some of his things were, some of the things he said were, were not unjust. And I was listening, I was listening, I was waiting, and I was waiting, and I said to him, let's just say his name was Craig, and I said, Craig, I said, but what about Jesus? I said, you, you, just because this happens over here and these people say this, you can't malign Jesus. What about Jesus? And the conversation got incredibly awkward. It just did. It just did. And it, it, and it will, won't it? That's okay. Things may not go great at that point, but you might be establishing, laying seeds, establishing a, a framework for later conversations. There are times not to speak his name. There are times to keep your mouth shut. But we have to be willing to bring him up and tell people that their conceptions of Jesus are wrong in a way that is honoring to the Lord. I love what Peter says. It's appropriate to quote Peter here. He says, um, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, um, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, but always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. So I listened to him. I listened to him talk, and I said, What about Jesus? He avoided me <laughs> for the rest of my time ever coming there. He would not. I'd, I'd wave him, talk to him, and I realized why. I realized I kind of threw down the gauntlet. Once you say the J word, sometimes it's, it's, um, it's over. But the second thing we're to take from this is that Jesus stands alone, doesn't he? It's important to be reminded. My guess is none of you think Jesus is just one of the many. All of us know he stands alone, but do we really know it? I love in Joshua chapter 5, that obscure passage. This is before the walls of Jericho, before the attack on Jericho. He comes across somebody. You can tell Joshua goes out to scout or something. When he comes across a man standing there with a drawn sword, and the guy must have seemed kind of impressive, Joshua eyes him up and he says, are you with us or, are you with, us or with our enemies? Who, whose side are you on? Probably hoping he's on our side. And the man says, neither. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm on neither side, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And Joshua falls on his face and worships. You know who this is? This is the same guy talking to the disciples. This is the second person of the Trinity, the commander of the Lord's army, 
is speaking to the earthly commander of the Lord's army, and the earthly commander of the Lord's army falls on his face. But what's key is Jesus. The second person of the Trinity here says, I'm on neither side. I've come to do God's will. I stand alone. Are you on my side? I'm almost done. I think it's really important that we look at certain things in light of that. Do you remember when Jesus says, and this verse has struck me in the last two or three years of my life like it never has before. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well or be given to you. I never really thought about the fact that he doesn't say seek goodness, seek righteousness. He says seek God's righteousness. There are other righteousnesses out there. You know that? There are other goodnesses that, that might ease our conscience, that might cause us to feel like we're doing the right thing. Jesus says, no, no. In fact, that might be worse than doing outright evil because you think you're safe. You need to be seeking God's agenda, his righteousness. I'm going to say one more thing. Again, I'm asking you if you believe, believe what Peter says. Do, do we believe it when we're out amongst the crowds? Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ when we're out among people who don't? It's easy for us to say the creeds in church, and it's right, surrounded by friends and fellow believers. In a sense, it's easy for Peter to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's with his disciples who think like he does. He's with his teacher who commends him for saying that. But later on, when the heat came on, Peter didn't confess it. He denied it, didn't he? When he saw his Lord humiliated, beaten up, chained, mocked, crucified, he backed away. And even after Jesus' death, isn't it interesting what Cleopas says on the road to Emmaus? We thought he would redeem Israel. He was a prophet. He scaled back what he said. He scaled back what they believe. He scaled back Peter's confession. What do we do when our world is crashing down around us? When it seems like everything that we thought was supposed to be this way isn't, and our universe is crumbling, do we believe in that moment, and will we confess in that moment that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us strength. Give us strength to not only believe and proclaim what Peter did, but to be able to believe it and proclaim it amongst the crowds, amongst people. Not for our glory, Father. Please, 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 please. But may we operate according to your agenda to your son's agenda. The commander of the Lord's army, may we be on his side, Lord. May we not think he is on ours, so to speak. Help us to think aright. Bless the rest of the service, Lord. Bless us as we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.